Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 356, Top 10 Games for Winter Break. we like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, everyone, it's the winter season, and by all means, it is board gaming time. So for this special episode, we are talking about the top 10 games during your winter break, whether that is with your kids, as a student, or it's just some time off with the family. These games are going to be the perfect fireside chat. So Anthony, you're a big fan of these kind of games, right? Yeah. Yeah, they are fantastic because my kids get absorbed in the stories and the mechanics of them all and want to play over and over again. And that's perfect when they're home for like 14 days over the winter break. So um, all the games on this list, we'll talk about a little bit more later, are conducive to multiple playthroughs for various reasons. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, you know, and very different types of themes. They're not necessarily children's games. These are all games I've enjoyed, you know, not necessarily just with my kids, but also with my kids. They kind of cross the barriers. And most of them we've reviewed on this podcast. So uh, if you are interested in any of these when we get there, there's lots of info in our back catalog to, to learn more about them. Absolutely. I mean, this is a season for time with our families. So whether they're gamers, non-gamers, hardcore gamers, these are the perfect games to get to the holiday table so that you get everyone playing. I think that always is the most difficult time of the year where you get all these new games for gifts or these all these different holiday sales, but which of these will actually get played during the break? I think right. that's always like, <laughs> I got all these things, but it turns out there's only a select few that everyone will play or at least the gamers will play. 
So we'll be talking about that on our feature review. So stick with us because you're going to want to know what games to pack up to play with the family and your best friends during the holiday season. So, Anthony, before we go into our feature review, there's so much going on out there in the world. Let's talk about some news in the board gaming community and some news from BGA. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are trying out a a new app. It's called Wisdom. And uh, basically how it works is we have an account. um, It's at BGA Podcast. If you go to Wisdom, there'll be a link in the show notes. And next week, we're going to put together a basically a live chat uh, conversation type of thing. And this basically allows us to kind of do what we do, talk about board games. But at the same time, you can be involved at the same time. So if you've ever been on Twitch or YouTube (laughs) live or something, it's like that, except even more interaction, right? So it's like a social audio is what they call it. Um, Very cool. So we're going to be doing that on Wednesday, December 29th at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to join us, the link is in the show notes here. uh, And we will be on there uh, for at least 20 minutes. Um, We'll be talking about ourselves and what we're doing and what we've been playing over the holidays. But we also want to talk with yeah. you all. Take your questions. Uh, it's it's The point is to be interactive, right? It's not just for us to do what we do every week and run a podcast. It's to hear from you and have a conversation. So if you want to chat, if you want to say hi, I'm pretty sure you just hop on the app on your phone and we will just show up, right? It's like a Facebook Live or something like that. So um, looking forward to seeing everybody there on uh, December 29th. Excellent. Yeah, we want everyone to show. So this way you don't have to just yell at your phone as we talk about a game you do not like. You can actually tell us live that you do not like that game <laughs> or hopefully kind of kind of promote a game that you like a lot. And, and again, we're always looking for opportunities to have more interaction with you because, again, you're the reason why we do the podcast and we like to share those conversations at the table with all our friends. So uh, please check out the show notes or this will also, I guess, Anthony, be on the actual website, right? When we post the show, that'll be there as well. Yep. Yeah. We'll have a link on Facebook, Twitter, uh, and then on the website in the official post for the episode and then in the show notes on your phone, uh, wherever you okay. listen to it. So wherever you're listening to this right now, you have the link already. So you don't have nice. to do anything. Just click that <laughs> link on December 29th, 845 Eastern, and you can join us. Very nice. Very cool. I I hope to see you all there. A lot of fun and, uh, yeah, exciting. Anthony, so that's what's going on with us, which, again, super awesome, of course. What's going on with the board game industry? Any any hot news out there? Uh, Yeah, I don't know, man. Just more Uh uh buying or being bought by things, right? That's just Uh every week, right? (laughs) (laughs) Every week of the year. yeah, I mean, if you're in board games at all, if you're in a group, if you're on Twitter, if you're I on am. Board Game Geek. Yeah. I am. Really? I'm in board games. <laughs> I am. I'm over here. <laughs> um, so you probably saw that Asmodee was sold once again, uh, picked up by the Embracer Group, which the last couple of times Asmodee was sold, it was like, okay, some r- hedge fund rich people bought this company and they're going to milk it for cash. That's a thing. Um but this is a little more interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the company like doubled in value in three years, which is crazy. Two, the Embracer Group is it's a Swedish company that owns a ton of video game studios. So they own nice. THQ Nordic. They own Gearbox, which makes Borderlands. 
Um, they own like, I think five or six others. I think they have 12 or 13 business groups total. Mm -hmm. And now Asmodee is joining that, right? So they haven't done board games before, but they know gaming and they're kind of yes. committed to it and they invest in it yes. pretty heavily. And like just yesterday, they bought Dark Horse Comics too. So nice. this is a geeky brand, which is great because we're geeks and we want people to respect our hobby and not just gut the companies and sell it off for cash and parts, yes. which is kind mm -hmm. of what Asmodee has been doing. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, well, not Asmodee, but the company that owned them. Yes, so, that's true. I don't know if it's good news or bad news. People are asking on, on social media what we thought. And I'm like, I will see. But to me, this is better than if yet another big anonymous investor group owned them that was just going to try to pump it up and make it more valuable. It seems mm -hmm. like Embracer will hold on to this investment and use it. And hopefully that means these studios can grow and be more creative and do more interesting things. And yes, they'll probably make games about all these different video game franchises uh, like Borderlands, etc. But maybe they'll also then have the resources and the time and not be so stressed about being sold off for parts <laughs> that they can do the things that they've been doing, right? Absolutely. And as a big anonymous investor group ourselves, um, I'm very disappointed <laughs> that our bid was not selected. Uh, we had a lot of we had a lot of monopoly money. We had several iron clay chips that we were throwing into the mix and some really nice looking metals felled coins at a very high rate. So um, I'm sorry that they didn't choose our investment. But uh, as, as far as like a cool name to buy a board gaming company, that works. I, I like that idea. It sounds like something from like, it sounds like a superhero. Embracer. So, yeah. Embracer. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, cool. You know, here, here they are to save the day. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. No, I think as you, as you mentioned, Anthony, I, I think that there's a difference where the company actually does produce content, does produce geeky stuff. And it's just not looking for, you know, financial gain necessarily as, it's only motivating factor. Like they understand that right. like the geek community is a very dedicated community and has in most cases, very deep pockets. I think we saw that over the pandemic with Frosthaven, like where everything was shutting down, like the world was shutting down. And then like, and then like Isaac was like, Hey, Frosthaven at a ridiculous price. And everyone's like, yeah, of course. And like, it made like all the monies. So if they handle it right, they could make, again, all the monies by far much more than Asmodee. I mean, Asmodee was coming off, or I'm sorry, the holding company for Asmodee was coming off as a pretty big villain for a very long time. Like they were just gobbling up either whole companies and then not spitting anything out of it, or they were just buying up properties for just the sake of buying the properties and not really using them. So look, it's their toys. They can do what, what they want with it, but we would like to be able to play with their toys. So yeah. I would love to see an opportunity for some of these other, other kind of board game studios that have kind of gone, you know, run silent to kind of come back into the mix and start producing content of their own because the, the, the brilliance of our hobby is the board game designers and the fact that like their creations comes to life and is produced at such a high quality and with such just significant love to the work. So, I mean, even going to the recent convention, just rekindled that for me, like these designers just love what they do. Like they love the games that they put out. And again, like, for example, like in days of wonder, just that got gobbled up such a long time ago. It's like, they should be producing games. Like they should have a booth. Like I, I want to go right. like shake hands and like 
hug people and be like, you guys are the best. Like, even when we went to, we went to Funko, like, I love those guys. Like, I just met them for like five minutes when we were talking about the Jurassic Park game. And I'm like, we should be friends. Like, this should happen. <laughs> like, yeah, they're yeah. like, we really love games. We really put a lot of time. And I'm like, I get that you love it. I get that you put time into it. I appreciate it. I'm like, this is, that's what it should be, right? Like, that's the hobby. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. And it's it's cool. At least the people who are picking up this investment now, it's not just money, right? It is money. Yeah. They spent $3.1 billion on Asthma Day. That is crazy money. Well, but... to be fair, like I said, if you threw them the Feld coins, it would be very close to our <laughs> anonymous bid, okay? Just very saying. Close, very close. Very close. <laughs> I mean, they were they were hand-signed by Feld himself, just saying, you know? Well, I think, again, let's let's hope for the best. Let's see what, what comes of it all. It's, it's good to see that, you know, it's, it is a company that does produce that kind of stuff. So uh, they'll have a vibe. And again, you know, if they're, you know, it's, it's just been a weird world, right? I, I, I think we talked about this, or maybe we mentioned this online that, that uh, Asmo Day, before they got acquired, had purchased secretly quite some time ago Miniature Market, right? Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. And like, I know not every purchase gets announced because they're not all that big, right? It's, you know, it, a regional retailer that is huge in our hobby in the United States, um, kind of in the middle of the country. And all of us have ordered games from miniature market at some point, but at the same time, it's a retailer, right? It's not the biggest, biggest acquisition acquisition Asmodee has made, but it was still weird to kind of find out that you've been buying your games from Asmodee for the last six to nine months. And we don't even know when it just happened sometime this year. Yeah, they were very like squirrely about it. Even Miniature Market released like some sort of statement like, yeah, we were hiding this from you <laughs> like for a long time. Like, And, and I, I know that they moved into like a larger storefront. But right. like you said, it's it's weird in one way because as, how would you say it? As as like retail outlets, it's tiny. Like it's, 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 it's insignificant in consideration to like all the other outlets out there of like that that sell things right you could have bought like i don't know bed bath and beyond and board games or you could have bought that whole company or something like that but they bought miniature market which is a giant in our in our industry right there's only i mean since asmo day came down and started to do all of their price fixing and you couldn't sell asmo day games like they really shut out a lot of small companies i remember like when we started out like there were a lot of like small board game companies that were just all over the place. Like you would go to one of these companies and buy like a game or two from them here and there. And then now it's just like one of those situations where it's like miniature market. It's cool stuff, Inc., which is fading fast and game nerds. I'm, I'm trying to think what else. I mean, game, Sur- game surplus obviously is not really a thing anymore. And I don't know what else. I mean, yeah, I mean, someone, when we came in, it was, there was like fun again too, which is kind of faded out. They closed down and yes. opened back up and they don't sell as much anymore. Like it, nope. it really is, you know, and, and when we first got in the hobby, Amazon didn't really sell board games. No, right. No, you had to not. go through these retailers. You now did. Amazon sells almost anything that goes to distribution. They, they get it. So yes, most people buy from Amazon because it's easier. It's cheaper. It's faster. Yes. Um, unfortunately for the world, but yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, Miniature and, Market is one of those companies that has been around the whole time we've been in the hobby, at least. 
Yeah, and I've what I'm they I believe they were the first company that I purchased from. I actually didn't find them the traditional route. I went to eBay and then mm. found them and Cool Stuff Inc. on eBay. I was like, oh, they have games for auction. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I'll buy some of these games. Like, you guys have a storefront? <laughs> and I think it's probably been like 70, 30. Like I would maybe not that much. Maybe uh 60% of my games I bought from miniature market. And then probably, I don't know, 30% from cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And then up and then the rest more recently, game nerds. So maybe another 10% from game nerds just because time, but you know, game surplus, right. of course, you know, and then like you said, a scattering of small companies here and there. So interesting, very, very interesting, very weird. And I, I guess follow with us because the next next big things will be coming. Yeah. All right. So that's everything that's going on with the industry and going on with us. So as again, Anthony said, check the show notes because we want you to join us. And that'll be a lot of fun for the holiday season. A doot, doot, doot. Anthony, <laughs> there is also a lot of going on with all of our listeners out there. And you know what? They like to talk about one thing in particular, which is, of course, question of the week. Question of the week, everybody. Uh, this week, our question was, and this was courtesy of Jay Redeye on Reddit. So I did steal one of the Reddit questions, which they're they're so good. And if, if you haven't, mm-hmm. if you if you're addicted to the questions of the week, head on over to Reddit because they have a lot of good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, but their question and the question that we asked was, "What are your most satisfying moments in board gaming?" Simple, but very interesting. This could be construed a couple different ways, and I left it open for that reason. So we could talk be talking about broadly what do you enjoy most about gaming in general. Some people took it that way. Or more specifically, what is a single moment in a single game that you love more than anything else? So we got good answers for both. Um, so David mentions opening a new game and sniffing the components. <laughs> All right, David. Excellent. <laughs> no, I'm, da- I'm um, down for that. I'm, I'm down for the the chemical compounds. I mean, seriously, it's, it's got a good smell. I hear that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very familiar, too. Like, I could smell it from mm-hmm. across the room and be like, someone opened a board game. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Larry mentions, in innovation, taking down someone with age nine cards with your old age three castle card you still have nice. left over because they've teched up really quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. I love how specific that is. Great one, Larry. Mm-hmm. Um Josh mentions completing tricky missions in the crew mission Deep Sea, uh, particularly satisfying. I Honestly, defeating anything in a co-op game, but especially the crew where you can't talk to each other, is way yeah. up it for me. Um, Brian mentions, and this is a great one, I always love this. When I teach a new game to a group, I like to watch their reactions while playing. Extremely satisfying to see them going through the mechanics and having a good time. Excellent. Sure, sure, sure. Charlie mentions having that eureka moment in a game um, that previously made no sense to you. So like playing through a game and it's just like, I don't understand what I'm doing. And then it clicks, right? We've all had that moment. You're like, this game is stupid because I don't get it. And you're like, oh, I get it now. Oh, this is genius, right? (laughs) Um, That's fantastic. That happened for me with Food Chain Magnet about halfway through the game when I already knew I was going to lose. But I'm like, oh, this is brilliant. Oh, I'm getting destroyed. <laughs> like, That's great. Uh, it's it's such a fun moment. Uh, Eggers mentions, and this is always fun, and this applies to a lot of games, but specifically he says, solving the efficiency puzzle in the fifth round of Lost Ruins of Arnak. So getting to the wow. end and having all the stuff you have in front of you, whatever cards are in your hand, whatever resources you have, whatever 
idols you've picked up and min maxing out the most you can do with all that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Which can make that last round of that game with multiple people take forever. But when you're playing it yeah. solo, it's amazing. Cause you're just like, I'm going to get the most possible stuff and it's going to be great. <laughs> right. Um, Rosenberg games have that feeling to them too. A lot of the time, which is a lot of fun. Uh, right. Uh, Romans. This is a good one. Placing stickers in a legacy game. Which mm, I, I know that sure. makes a lot of people really stressed out, but mm. I'm with Roman. It's very satisfying to complete anything, good or bad, and know that you're changing the game state because of it. You know, like, <laughs> I'm putting a sticker down. Uh, we're going to talk about one later that I play with my kids that has stickers, and they are they will literally fight each other, physically fight each other to place the sticker after the game is over. <laughs> so um, it crosses generations. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, so yeah, lots of good stuff. Um, anything in particular come to your mind? I mean, I, I, I guess literally I could do a podcast just on this alone. I mean, I think over the years we've talked about so many different aspects. I, I guess off the top of my head, the first one that popped in was walking in, I guess, is it Oil Stadium in Indy from Gen oh, Con? Yeah. Yep. Just walking on the, you know, walking on the field of this gigantic football stadium and just, I think it was, I think I believe it was their 50th anniversary yep. for Gen yep. Con. Yep. So they had, they the had museum like, in the middle. Yep. They had the museum in the middle. So the museum in the middle on the 50th, you know, 50, you know, around the 50th, you know, line and just looking around and being inside on the field. Like again, as a kid, like you watch the football, football games all the time. You see the field and like, I'm on the field. Like, this is just bizarre. And it, again, it's it's the hobby that I love. I mean, that was just a very surreal kind of moment for me. It was just like, wow, like just everything kind of crossing over each other at the same time. And just seeing the massive amounts of games that are being played on the field. And again, like not everyone's a sports fan, but it's just it's a grand arena of play. And just to play a game in there or see other people playing games in there or see again, the museum in there and just like, no, this is a thing. This is our hobby. This is really something profound. And like, it was, it was one of those moments. It certainly was. It was just, wow. It was just a wow moment for me. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, and like we did the, the next year too, like I was back at Gen Con and it wasn't a quite as wow because the museum wasn't there. It wasn't, it was yeah. year 51. Right but I played a game on the 50 yard line. Just, I was there like play testing a game with a designer, which I ended up backing on Kickstarter eventually because it was very good, but just like nice. sitting there. And it's occasionally when it's someone else's turn, just like sitting back and looking up and looking around, you're like, man, I could be on the jumbotron right now playing this game. <laughs> and I won the game too. It was just like, I don't know if I've ever won a game and felt so much like, yeah, I did a thing. <laughs> Did you did you spike the did you spike the game board afterwards? Oh my gosh! I think he would have tackled me. <laughs> it's a prototype. It was um, a prototype. Yeah. <laughs> Everything yeah. would yeah. If he tackled you, it would be appropriate in that situation. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah. But I think for me too, like co op games are not my favorite. Um, but those are mm-hmm. often my favorite moments because you get to share them with everybody when you pull something off. Uh, sure. Often when I pull off something really cool in a competitive game, someone at the table is upset, right? Because it means they didn't pull off something or I took something that they wanted or they lost the game. Mm -hmm. Um, So like 
you know, we go back to that. We tell a story of Defenders of the Realm and like kind of our stand-up yeah. yelling moment, throwing the dice. Rolling the dice, yeah. Yeah, like that stuff is what I really, really like getting out of games. And again, those aren't my favorite games, but those are my, end up being my favorite moments. Sure. I think one other one I'll just throw in there because it popped into my head because a little bit of news in case you in like case you care you listen but uh the dice tower tom vassal's flagship uh of podcasts and 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 obviously you know youtube videos he announced i think the other week that the dice tower podcast will be ending so i think he he has like five episodes or maybe four episodes at this point and i think us and daniel and drew going on stage the dice tower event and tom mm. you know chastising us before we went on stage not to do anything crazy because we'll he'll come after us if we do and that <laughs> right. was it was such a funny moment because again board gamers anonymous obviously fits us very well as introverts are, are concerned so like what the heck were we gonna do it was kind of funny maybe maybe it was the new york accents that kind of you know made him think that something was gonna crazy happen. i did have a crazy idea to be fair but after Tom said that, we weren't going to do that. Maybe, maybe in the future, but I don't know. But that was that was a big moment of being on stage with a couple hundred people, right, in that room. Oh, it was like six hundred. It was so many yeah. people. <laughs> like it was the biggest show yeah. he had put on to date. It was one of the big, big rooms at Gen Con, and we got there, and I'm yeah. like, I didn't realize it was going to be this many people. I'm no. very nervous. And we sat up front, and we went on the stage, and and we were on video. You can watch it somewhere, sometime. And I thought we did a really good job and I thought it was a lot of fun. And it was really our first kind of professional interaction with Tom. We've been, I don't know, we were on the Dice Tower network for, I think, quite some time and been still part of the network, even though that's no longer part of his drive as far as the podcast are concerned. But that was a big thing. I think that was a good moment for us. And that was a lot of fun. Like you said, there's so many different moments, as we said earlier, like opening in the buying a board game just the the anticipation of getting this great game getting the game home just like not even wanting to unwrap it unwrapping the game like all the potential of opening that game box all the fun you're going to have bringing the game to game night and your friends just light up and they're so thrilled that you got like the latest hottest game out there and they're like excited what we're going to play at the table and we all get like really giddy about the whole thing like you being able to bring a game and like just drop at the table everyone's like no, that's what we're playing now, right? <laughs> They're like, like, oh no, it's this thing. And then, like you said, teaching the game has always been a big fun moment. You know, letting people know, like, hey, I can teach you this game. Like, just imparting wisdom and then playing the game out. And like you said, if it's a co-op, then it's a co-op win. If it's competitive, then it's like maybe driving from behind out of nowhere or not knowing a game, playing it for the first time and pulling out the win or pulling out some really awesome combo that you're able to mentally put together. Like that moment when you play that game and like everything starts clicking about how the game works and you're like, Oh my God, I got it. Like it's, it's like a beautiful mind kind of thing. Everything just lines up and you're like, I I can do this. I can do this. I can put this together. So now it's, it's, it's really great. You know, the, you know, collecting board games, having such a beautiful collection of, designer board games from geniuses and and people who produce them at, at such a high quality it's just it's a great hobby it's a good hobby it's a fun hobby and again it brings people to the table so 
Yes, all the good things, all the things. There's just so many more, and I won't, I won't keep talking. But they're great. <laughs> You're right. That, that could be a whole episode. We'll have to circle could back. Be a to whole it episode. I, I think I, I'm sorry. I just took over the whole episode. And, and again, a board game podcast with great friends listening right now. Hey, buddies. Hey, it's us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's what's going on with our listeners, and of course, going on with us. Again, if you'd like to hit us up and let us know. What were your awesome, satisfying moments in board gaming? We'd love to hear from you. So again, Facebook and Twitter is the best place to find all of this content. But of course, you could check us out. Find us on our one and very own website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. So let me tell you something. There's Board Game Geek, and then there's us. It's, it's in a crazy great website, and we have more things coming up. We're going to be growing. So stick with us. We'll have more information as you know the episodes go. So, Anthony, with that said, let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. All right. So this is my favorite time of the year and your least favorite. Uh, well, maybe second <laughs> least favorite. It's not an Isle of Cats expansion. It's an 18xx oh, game. No, no. <laughs> when, they, when they start with the 18xx and cat version of it, then, oh then my can't be gosh, done. they have to do it. I want to break you. <laughs> Christian's collapses. No, um, no, don't okay, do but it. Here's don't the thing. Here's the thing. Okay, let me tell you about this game. Uh, designed by Yasutaka Ikeda, who, if you don't recognize the name, also designed Shadow Hunters, which is a game <gasps> you and I can both agree is very good, right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So there you go. I'm, okay. All right. I'm on. I'm, on. I'm back on board. I'm back on board. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> so uh, Ikeda designed this game. I don't remember exactly when it was maybe 10, 15 years ago. And it's been impossible to find forever. Right. I played it mm-hmm. because my friend Michael in Pittsburgh made his own copy, a print and play copy. Uh, and mm-hmm. it was fantastic. It's basically one of the most accessible, easiest to learn 18 XX games. It takes two to three mm-hmm. hours instead of the five to seven that a lot of them take as a very small map. Um, again, just like part of Japan uh, and, and like thematically, I mean, if any of these games have themes, it's the Meiji Restoration in Japan. So this is like the rapid industrialization of Japan in the late 19th century, which is a perfect setting for an 18xx game. And there's not a lot of crazy rules added on. Like the basic core rules of 18xx, I'm not going to run through them here because, you know, I've talked about these enough, but also they're relatively easy to find. But there are multiple companies there are stocks for those companies. If you own a majority share in the company and it's operational, you are the president and you get to run that company. And then whenever a company runs, then the trains successfully get to their locations, you get money based on the shares that you own, right? So you buy and sell shares, you place different tracks and you try to get in other people's way and tank their stocks. And it's a whole economic thing, right? Uh, and so if you enjoy that kind of game, there's like a hundred of them. And this is considered one of the most accessible easiest ones to get into um, plays well from like two up to five. It's, it's a small board. It's very simple. It's very quick. And so I was super excited to see that it was finally up on Kickstarter because it's been out of print forever. And, you know, in terms of changes, he hasn't made a ton. Um, the developer here, the publisher, uh, Josh Starr, who previously did 1861, 67, which was a great release. So all new graphic design and illustration. It looks really nice. Um, a full rewrite of the rule book because the original was, you know, just kind of mushy, uh, just old self-printed, not a lot of copies out there anyways. 
high quality components. I, I can speak to like the previous game that he published. It looked fantastic. And it's only 50 bucks, which for really any game on Kickstarter these days yeah. is pretty reasonable. But mm-hmm. a lot of the 18xx games on Kickstarter lately have been like a hundred plus dollars because they don't print very many of them. Um, and probably they don't print very many because they're a hundred plus dollars. Mm. <laughs> so uh, so Josh has been smart about this. He's made it very affordable. It's fifty dollars. The shipping's pretty expensive because everything is expensive right now for shipping. Uh, I think it's like twenty bucks if you're in the US. So seventy dollars all in gets you the game. And as a result, they're like at 150 grand on Kickstarter. It's definitely backed at this point, almost 3000 backers, which for an 18 XX game is crazy. And I'm in on it. I'm super excited. If you are out there listening and thinking, I've always wanted to try an 18 XX game, or I should own at least one of these. This is a good one to own. <laughs> right. Okay. Cause it's inexpensive. If you back the Kickstarter, sure. it's fairly straightforward, easy to get into as a game. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, even just in general for a Euro game, it's not crazy long and it's very forgiving in terms of like player count. So like even the original 18 XX games, they're long, they're complicated. They have a lot going on. This one very much streamlined, straightforward, small map, no crazy extra rules layer on top. So, uh, highly recommended. I've played it a couple times. I really enjoyed it. And so I'm excited to, to own it as well. All right. I think, I think, 18 double X games, just in general, I've never seen a genre of board games work harder to get people into their hobby. Mm. You know, every once in a while you see like, oh, this is a worker placement game that other people can play. Or, hey, this is a tick that, that game that's not so mean. But like, no, the 18 double X, like, I think the the idea or the or the conversations that we've had over the last at least two years about 18 double X is like oftentimes it, the, we kind of it wraps up with, Hey, if you haven't played one or you want to get into it, this is a good one. Right. Right. I think I, I really like to see that. I'm really glad that they're doing that because honestly they were almost inaccessible. I yes. just, I mean, again, like I'm an incredible nerd who likes this kind of stuff. And even I was like, Oh, I, I can't, yeah. <laughs> no, I just can't. I just, I don't, and I sat down and I watched some of it and I'm just like, mm, I, I just can't see a way in. So uh, right. I appreciate the effort being made. I'm not sold yet, but I'm appreciative of the effort that they're making. So, you know, it's it's a thing. So, all right, cool. So what else do you have on tap here, Anthony? Yeah, definitely. So one other one real quick, because uh, I just got an email about it and I, I pre-ordered it. Um, is there is a giant neoprene game mat for War of the Ring that just went up for pre-order on the Ares game website. And mm-hmm. it is 50% larger than the normal mat. So it's like it's about the same size as the collector's edition board, but it's neoprene. Ooh. So, neoprene, which is fun. The game mats <laughs> are fun. It'll be massive. I don't know where I'm going to put it, but I'm definitely buying it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, I, love, I love that collector's edition board. It's always sitting around here somewhere because it doesn't fit inside the box. Um, and the neoprene mat is, will be just, you know, just a level up above, hopefully, as long as the production is good, of the uh, the cardboard. Uh, it comes with both the promos for the game if you don't have them. I already have them both, but I will get two more, apparently. <laughs> um, and shipping is free, so it's 70 for the mat, but there's no shipping on it. And they're supposed That's to great. ship it in April. So, like, without shipping, it, it comes out to a price that seems reasonable for what it is because it's really big 
Yeah, neoprene mats are surprisingly expensive. And, you know, considering the fact that we have them for so many of our, you know, our our computer, you know, peripherals, and then at the same time, it's just like, oh, here, for a board game mat, it's like all the monies, but they're all all the monies. I've never seen them not being all the monies kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I get that. I... I really like this. I didn't get the most recent, I guess, whatever it was, the anniversary kind of version of it. Because honestly, I'm one of those weird people. Like, you know, the fact that I know that there's the super deluxe version out there, it's very hard for me to buy anything else. Like, I have War of the Ring. And I think, I'm trying to remember, if, if you had gotten it for me for the auction or I, I got it at the auction for like a really low price... And right. it's honestly one of the, if not the greatest board games of all time. Like, even if you like Lord of the Rings, you can't, you have a hard time arguing that it isn't. But the fact that the super deluxe version out there is just so hard to like, it's just so hard. It's just I like, know. <laughs> I, I know I'll never get it, but at the same time, I'm just like, but it still exists. I can't, I can't, <laughs> I can't buy a lesser version when the, when the ultimate version just hangs out there. I was the funny thing was I, I saw Stephen Bonacore, you know, formerly from Stronghold Games at Hacks Unplugged and like just a little chit chat. And I just jumped right into right into War of the Ring because he owns that Super Collector's Edition because, of course, he does. And he's a huge War of the Ring fan. So I was just like, War of the Ring? War of the Ring? Eh, eh. And he's like, yeah, I'm never bringing that up here. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> I just want to steal it. I mean, see it. I don't I don't want to steal it at all. That's de- definitely not the reason why I want him to bring it. But uh, now it's, yeah, this is, again, it's one of those situations where it, re- again, I have so many neoprene mats, and I hate to say that, like, a lot of them don't come into play. But right. War of the Ring is one of those situations where you have troops on the map and you do need the additional space to really play the game well because it does get like a cluttered mess almost immediately with the small board. Yeah. I yeah, I will say that the ones that I do use are the the Rising Sun mat, the Kemet mat, and the Twilight Imperium map. The ones where you put yeah, a lot of plastic on the board. It's so, troops. Yeah. Yep, it's troops on exactly. Thing. So that's like yeah. thinking of that, I'm like, no, I have to buy this. I mean I would have bought it anyways, yeah. but at least I feel like I'll use it. Yeah, and I think considering that you're not paying shipping, which is always what ends up killing everything, yeah. you know, so that's really great that they're doing that. So, yeah, Ares, Ares Games, great company, good people. Definitely check their games out, especially since they have War of the Ring there. So, and if I remember correctly, they're just, I think they're just recent. Wow, I'm just trying to say, um, you know, it's one of those kind of situations where they've had a lot of odd games here and there. But they were one of the really great companies, if not one of the great companies out there that was not trying to make additional money during the pandemic when their Battlestar Galactica miniatures kind of went down. They were willing to put out all the new content online for free. So I know that when we saw them, I thanked them for that because I know that's a big deal for all of the fans out there. So... Yeah, love that. And again, I think they're celebrating their 10th anniversary. So bravo, Aries, stay stay true, man. You're doing awesome. Love you guys. All right. So Anthony, that's the games that we want to get to the table. Let's talk about the games that you did get to the table. And you let everyone know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs, those games are a play because, hey, why, why not? 
or if those games are the dreaded burn. And you know what? It's it's Christmas time. And if you can't have a log on the fire, let's have a nice chunky board game on the fire. So what do you have up <laughs> for us this week? All right. So the first one uh, is one we both played. So we can both talk about it. <gasps> um, this is exciting. I know. Yeah. Uh, we played this at uh, PAX Unplugged. This is one of the, I think the only game actually that we played outside of the vendor hall. And it's Fayum, the new one from Friedman Freeze. Uh, mm-hmm. Newish. I guess it came out last year. And in this game, you are uh, building out Fayum, right? 3,900 mm-hmm. years ago, this was built out kind of like the basin of this uh, kind of region. And each individual player is like participating and contributing to building it out. But the actual building of it is player agnostic. So the buildings are all neutral. The roads are all neutral, the settlements and everything. But you're going to score points as you contribute. So when you build something, you get points for doing it. Um, The unique mechanic of the game, because again, it's a Freeman Freeze game, is that you have, you start the game with five cards. Uh, and this is your hand of cards, similar to Concordia, right? You can play any of these cards, but then it goes into a discard pile and it's not available again until you pick up your discard pile. There's also a market of cards. And so on your turn, you can choose between either playing a card or buying a new card. Those are two of the options you have available. There's a third option of picking up your stuff, right? The administration action. Mm-hmm. And so when you buy a new card, it goes directly into your hand. You can use it on your next turn but then it goes into your discard. And the reason this is important is that on your administration action, you don't just get to pick up all of your discards. You pick up the first three, the last three cards that you played, and then Mm -hmm. anything beyond that you pay for. So if you have put 12 cards in your discard and you want them all back, it's going to cost you $9. And that's a decent amount of money. Like you can build up a good chunk of change in the, in the game, but especially early on, you have to be really economical with what you put down and when you put down it. Um, There are 120 something numbers of cards in the game. And then they're only even. So it's like 65 ish. Each card is unique, has a different ability, um, different ways to score points, different ways to get money, different ways to like mess with the board state or get new cards. They're all unique in that way. The market is laid out like the power grid market where like when you pull new cards out, you're going to put them in order numerically. So the lowered number cards are not as powerful as the higher number cards, but it's still possible to get higher number cards early in the game, uh, which is kind of a cool mechanic always is <laughs> with power grid, especially. And so kind of combining, and this is how, you know, my, Andrew pitched it to us. is like, it's like Concordia plus power grid. And it's not exactly that because there's more going on and definitely the board state plays a lot more into it but it is a little bit that, right? It has that feel to it. So like the resource management elements of it, you're building up, you know, getting resources early on, especially as tight. Like you have to farm from different regions. Um, a lot of the actions you have to take requires you to be able to place workers in certain locations or remove them from certain locations. And other people can do that before you're able to, so they can block something you're trying to do. And so there's a lot of jockeying for position and back and forth. And, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was We played it with three people. It plays from one to five. And by all accounts, playing with five can be a little tight, um, but then also kind of drag on a little bit at the end. Whereas with three, the game really flowed very smoothly. We played in mm-hmm. like not quite an hour and a half. So it was very smooth. Um, I also played it with one, just the solo rules on my own, uh, a couple times uh, since I got home. And... 
it's okay. Um, I thought it would be great actually, because the game does have a shared game state. So Mm -hmm. in the solo game, you just play the game and you see how many points you can get. But because the market, there's no competition for the cards and there's no competition for location on the board. I could kind of plan out my actions pretty carefully. The first game I played, I scored 240 something. Right. Um, and the goal was 150. So I was like, well, that wasn't, it was fun (laughs) because the mechanics are fun, but the actual game was not challenging. Um, whereas playing it with, you know, the two of you was more challenging because people were getting in the way and blocking things and I had to race for things and the game moved at a different pace. So I don't know that I'll play it solo again, unless I just kind of want to get the itch of the mechanics, but, Mm -hmm. um, the multiplayer version was great. And obviously I picked up a copy. So for me, it was a buy, um, the solo, a light play, uh, I'll probably circle back Mm. to it, but it wasn't great. Yeah. It's an interesting game. You know, obviously there is the aspect for the card play that's very similar to Concordia where you're purchasing cards from a market and that allows cards to enter your hand and then be playable and also score you a point. It didn't have that kind of end game situation where the cards themselves are all kind of like counted up and then X number of cards scores you this and X number of cards score that. It was just you're purchasing cards so that you could use them. But it, it is a very similar mechanic to Concordia. And I really enjoyed that part because I think where this game really shines for me is how some of those cards really offer you unique opportunities to just build a little tiny engine. So you mentioned earlier, like if you want nine cards back, right? Obviously, whatever you can get back based on what you had in your hand, and then you have to pay for the rest. But towards the end of the game, I had like a three, four card engine that was running based upon one or two cards. Like I had the parade card and I was scoring points. And then I had the, I guess it was like the flower perfume, perfumer card where I was scoring points off that. And I was just like, cool, play these cards, pick these cards up, play these cards, pick these cards up. The only thing that I felt like was really honestly missing with the game is just, it's, it felt a lot more abstract. It felt like a lot more nonsensical. It was like, cool, you're building a thing here and you're building a thing here and you're taking out some, you know, gators. And I'm just like, all right, no, I get like the general kind of concept, but some of the building mechanics and some of just like why you're building this and why you're building that and on this side or that side, like it could have literally been anything. It could have been any kind of abstract concept and it would have fit. So I never really felt connected to the game board state. Like, oh, cool, he built that town or that system or he took out those things and he did... Th- it was just like, eh, put a thing there, put a thing there, you put a person there, they're like, all right, you know, like that was a thing. So I think that's where it just, it just deflated a little bit for me. And I think at the end we should mention that there are these catastrophe cards and they're not really catastrophe cards. Like I was thinking, like, again, I was thinking when, you know, like it was going to change the game state or bring some level of discussion, destruction. So it was like, well, the idea of like, oh, these cards come out and they're just worth zero points because the game is now coming to an end. So the market of cards is just nothing. And then there's a couple of cards at the very end that will give you like, I think it was 5, 10, 15, 20 points or whatever it was. And I was just like, I don't know. I just got a little tired at the end of the game. And I was like, just give me the 
whatever it was, 20 point card. And I'm just like, I'm good. Like I felt just generally like I played the game and I was like good at the end because again, it was, if it was a little shorter, I think the app, the overall abstract nature of what you were doing or why you were doing it wouldn't bother me, but the game did go a little long. Um, But I think I agree with you. It did go at a good clip. There was never a time of like AP at the table. I think we all were pretty good about that. It was just a matter of like, distinguishing some of the abstract nature of like, oh, this is a thing and that's a road and that's a person and that's a building kind of thing. I think that was a little bit more of the thing. So it gets a play for me. It's not a buy for me, but it certainly gets a play for me. Yeah. And I think everything you said is fair. And those are good things to consider because like when we got to the end of that game with three people, I was just coming to the end of that level of enjoyment of like, this is fun. And then, you know, like we all have that point in some games, like mediocre to okay games where you reach a point like this is great. And then eventually you're like, why are we still playing? Right. Yeah. yeah. That's Um, that. Yeah. I got. Yeah. And so like I hit that line right at the end and I could easily see hitting that line a little earlier. And then, you know, Andrew described hitting that line much earlier in like a five player game, which I haven't done. Yeah. Into that. But the thing is like the, the mark, the car, the game ends when you run out of cards and you cycle the market, two cards out of the market with two or three players every time somebody administrates. Sure. But in a four or five player game, you only do one card. So the game is naturally mm. longer. Uh, yeah. And w- at the very least, it would feel longer. So I can definitely see that. Um, the solo game was kind of almost the same thing where eventually I'm just like, I've done everything. I'm just scoring points now. <laughs> Everything's out. Yeah. I've maxed out my scoring for these cards. I have maxed yeah. resources. I'm just doing whatever I want. And you're like, well, that's not fun, right? You want yeah. the game to end at the point at which your engine is just barely getting good enough to do yeah. what you need to do. And then it runs one or two good times and then you're done. Um, yeah. So it's definitely player count dependent, I think, and probably yes. player dependent. And don't come into it thinking this is Concordia because Concordia is no. a better game. And this is different. Yeah. And again, like I said, I'm not bagging on it because it's abstract. Because again, it's just, it it wasn't thematic in any meaningful way for me. So I didn't really feel attached to anything that was necessarily happening on the board state. And then some of the buildings, some of the building situations like, oh, you put this kind of building piece here. I'm like, why? Well, you're building a thing. Like, all right, you know, like, oh, you you built a little town thing over there. I'm like, all right, like, you know, it's just like, mm. <laughs> uh, and again, there is there is some opportunity to get in the way, but I, I never felt like I was ever really challenged other than maybe losing one or two points here or there with, with that particular game state. I think, again, I, I think that game would have would have benefited from kind of like a board that matched a certain player count. Because, mm-hmm. like you said, there, there, it should have been a little more tight as far as like, oh, if I take out this gator here, then, uh, you know, or crocodile, I'm not sure which is crocodile, right? I think it's crocodile. Um, if I take this crocodile out of this area, then I'm opening it up. Like you had to do that a lot. You had to do something that opened things up for other people. But it never, it never really felt dangerous or punitive in a real kind of way because the board really had a lot of options to kind of do things like you said. And then eventually at some point it just became, uh, it became redundant, right? You didn't need to, you didn't need to bring back your whole deck, right? There was never that big decision point where like, Oh, I need to go eight cards deep in this. Like, eh, you know, four or five cards maybe at the most, but 
Um, overall, a good game. Thanks, you know, for Andrew teaching that. And uh, yeah, I think, again, this was a game that I would certainly have passed up if I saw it at the table, but I'm glad I got a chance to play it. So, Anthony, let's get on to our feature review. So, for again, for our feature review this week, we're talking about the top 10 games during the winter break. It's that time of season, getting games with friends, family, and the kids. And hopefully those game purchases that you picked out or stuffed in your bag so when you get home, actually hit some table time. So, Anthony, you've put together an extensive list. Let us know why these games are the best for the winter break and why we'll actually get some table time. Absolutely. Yeah. So the criteria I looked at were games that are good for a broad range of players. So, you know, we're quote unquote family games, family oriented or friendly games. Uh, And then B, games that are conducive to multiple plays, but not just conducive because a lot of games people are willing to play multiple times in a row, but that are designed for it. So campaign style games or games that kind of reward return visits. Um, So a lot of these are campaign games. Some of them are legacy style games. Other ones are somewhere in between uh, with a lot of different options. And several of these I've played with my own children and some others I will be playing over the next week and a half over winter break. So uh, we will kick it off with number 10, which is a game that I reviewed for the Kickstarter back in 2017. And then again in 2018 when the full version came out and I loved it. Uh, This was Spy Club. This is from uh, Foxtrot Games. And it is a game in which you are kid detectives kind of solving these different cases. It's a little abstract in terms of like you're trying to match up these different types of cards and going around and taking these different actions, these different locations throughout town. But it's not so abstract that the kids don't get the theme. And it's not so thematic and complicated that the kids are overwhelmed. And it's like who stole the watch or who's bullying this other kid or who, you know, took this thing out of the kitchen, who took the cookie jar or whatever. It's not like who murdered Colonel Mustard in the, you know, like we, we always talk about clue and like just how brutal and like, wow, we played that as children. Um, this is kid friendly crimes. And so being a detective is not so scary. Right. Um, so it's a really good game for that. And uh, the kids have really enjoyed it. And it does reward repeat plays because it has a campaign in which you run through, I think, five different um, cases. And you kind of, once you get to the end of the five, you find the overarching culprit behind all of the crimes that you've been trying to solve, which is pretty cool. All right. Uh, number nine on the list is The Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. And you can kind of swap this out for any of these big box, you know, app based dungeon crawly type of games uh, from fantasy flight or otherwise. But this one in particular has been a big hit in my house um, for a couple of reasons. One, you have the app, which tells a really interesting story and is voice acted and has beautiful artwork and everything. And the kids like to watch that and they get engaged with it. You have the miniatures on the map. They get to move them around and do cool stuff. And then mechanically, it's a little more interesting than just rolling dice. So they get to keep track of their cards and build out their character and get new gear. And it plays out over a campaign of multiple um, sessions. And there are three full campaigns now with all the expansion stuff. So this has been a game that has not necessarily like back-to-back sittings because they are a little long, especially for kids. But, you know, like every day or two when we have breaks, this is a game that will kind of come out and uh, has done really well for that. So, um, and the kids don't even really know Lord of the Rings very much. They just know that they're 
beating up a troll. And they're like, yeah, kill, kill the troll. So that one's been a good one. Uh, number eight on the list is No Thank You Evil. This is from Monty Cook Games. And it is a uh, child-friendly RPG system in which... And I say child-friendly. A lot of RPGs can be child-friendly, but this one is out of the box, right? So you're building characters that look like children and have traits that children would recognize. You know, it could be pirates or princesses or dinosaur wranglers, all sorts of cool stuff. And you go on adventures that are, again, kid-friendly out of the box. So you can absolutely play Dungeons and Dragons or any of dozens of other RPGs with your family. I have done so. Um, My son in particular is really into Dungeons and Dragons stuff. But you have to edit it a little bit, (laughs) like especially if you're playing like out of the box adventures. They're not usually kid friendly. It can be a little scary. It can be a little risque. You know, as a GM, you got to tweak things a little bit. And you really skip a lot of rules, too, because it's just too much for, like, a seven, eight-year-old to wrap their head around all the rules in the player's handbook. No Thank You Evil has, you know, just a very quick, easy player handbook. The kids don't have to keep track of a lot of uh, tasks. They get little tokens and dice that are very easy to manage. And, you know, I don't know how long, you know, it'll kind of stick for them. I feel like the upper age range for this is probably around 10. That's why my son is very insistent that we play D and D instead, but um, we've gotten a lot of enjoyment out of this over the years. Uh, next one up is the adventures of Robin hood. This is the new one from cosmos and Michael Menzel who did one of my favorite games of all time, legends of Andor. And the reason this one in particular is on here and not Andor is that this is more family oriented. Um, Neither game is particularly heavy, but Legends of Andor is definitely more of a puzzle puzzle game where you're trying to like math out where to go and what order to do things. Uh, Robin Hood, it, the real feature of this game is the storytelling element. Uh, and so whereas Andor had a deck of cards and you'd run through those and that would guide you through the adventure, Robin Hood, you're literally reading a storybook. Like there's a book in the box that kind of walks you through each adventure and it's so much fun <laughs> to go through this and kind of change the board as you go, like different pieces kind of pop off and all these different things come out. And the kids absolutely love that part of games when they change, like why more people aren't making legacy style games for like younger audiences. I don't know because kids are just over the moon. Like if there's a sticker or if you remove something or add a new mechanic, they lose their minds. <laughs> like, so like I knew they would love this game because of that alone. And it's not even really like a legacy game. It just has things that change over time because it's a storytelling game. Um, and they don't really have a huge affinity for Robin Hood. I do, but uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So I'm looking forward to kind of going through the rest of this over the winter break. Um, number six is not a campaign game, but there are like 400 different ways to play it. And that is smash up. So smash up has, I don't know, Chris, how many modules does this thing have now? 4,000, something like that. Uh, 4,001, Anthony. Come okay, on, man. Get with it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I call myself a board gamer. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, so, yeah, you smash up two decks of just fun, cartoony type stuff, right? So, pirates, aliens, whatever. Uh, obviously, many, many more than that. Um, and so, kids enjoy that. It's fun. The rules are relatively simple once they can read, and it's friendly across the family. Anybody can pick this game up and play it. It's relatively light. It doesn't take very long. You know, it's not the most complicated or enriching game in the sphere, 
but because of the variability and how many different ways you can play it, uh, you could play many, many games of this in a row and not feel like you just played the same thing. So it definitely does a good job if you're going to be sitting down to play something repeatedly over a long winter break. Um, the next one also on the list because of variability and you know, your mileage will vary depending on how much money you've invested in this, but Arcadia quest has dozens of different campaigns and scenarios. You know, there's the core box. There is the expansion to the core box. There's Inferno. There's the expansion to Inferno. There's pets, there's riders, um, all the different little expansions that go with those, the downloadable expansions they've done over time. So, you know, I have almost all of this. I think we both do. So obviously for me, it's like an endless treasure trove of content for my children and my family. But even if you only really had one of them, there's a lot in there, right? And there's a lot of different permutations and combinations of the heroes you might pick. You know, how you go through the different scenarios can be different each time. And there's a lot of games that do something similar, but this one is definitely very cartoonish, chibi, kid-friendly. Um, and it's been really easy to like teach the rules and walk through it. My son wants to play Zombicide, <laughs> but Arcadia Quest is definitely more accessible for the seven-year-old as well. Uh, Stuffed Fables is the first in the storybook um, series of games from um, Hawthorne and uh, Plaid Hat Games. And adds a little bit more than you'd expect than like kind of the past games that he had worked on um, with like different dice combinations. But the real thing that the kids love here is that each page or each chapter that you run through, it's a couple pages per chapter, is a map, right? It's in the book. You move your miniature around on that. The rules are all right there. They can read them with you if they want. And you the little miniatures that you're controlling of the, of the different, you know, toys that are going on this quest um, to save their owner. And it's a lot of fun. It's cute. It's accessible. I don't know that any other games have done it as well with this format yet. You know, Comanauts is not really uh, like family friendly to that degree. Um, they were showing off the new one that... Uh, Jerry Hawthorne has been working on that. I don't know when it's coming out. Maybe next year. Um, Familiar Tales, but I believe that also uses the um, storybook format. But Stuff Fables, you know, from the first time I put it on the table, and I think my daughter was only four, maybe at the time. Um, very, very popular. Uh, next up, number three is another Jerry Hawthorne game. Um, Plathead Games, Mice and Mystics. This was one of the first games that I personally bought when I got into the hobby because I thought it was so cool, right? <laughs> People look at it and like, that's a kid's game. It's like, you know, Dungeons and Dragons for children. And I'm like, maybe, but it's super cool to me. Like my son was a year old at the time, maybe two. And I picked that up. I painted it. I have all the expansions for it. I've played through the first few scenarios multiple times with, with you, Chris, with Daniel and, and Drew and other people in Pittsburgh. And, like it's a, it's a blast to play and it's also great for the kids who knew. So um, you play as little mice, you go on these little adventures. Uh, the game comes in and out of print. So I don't know if you can actually get it now, but if you have it, it's a great one to bring out um, each of the expansions, including the base box and then downward tales. And there's another expansion in there too. I think at, it's like 10 to 12 different adventures each of those taking like an hour or two. So there's a lot of content to go through. 
And some of them can be kind of hard, so you're going to lose some too. So it definitely compounds over time. Um, all right, next to uh, number two, Zombie Teens. Zombie Teens is the sequel to Zombie Kids, um, which I have not played with the kids, actually. Uh, and specifically, Zombie Teens Evolution is a legacy-style you know, tower defense game, basically. You have zombies trying to attack these four different locations on a board, and each of you plays a teenager who goes out there and beats up the zombies. Um, and every time you finish a game, you will potentially add something to the game. So you're going to get star, you know, stickers and stars and things for accomplishing certain goals. You get new types of zombies come in, new types of dice, new types of characters, like all sorts of cool stuff, right? It is a legitimate legacy game. And this is the one I was talking about my kids like fighting over because you get stickers that go in the rule book. You get new pieces, they go out, you get stickers that like affect the um, the crates and then the characters and change things. And it's addictive, right? Because the games are short. Each game is like 15 or 20 minutes, very, very quick. And almost every game you play, something in the game state changes. So there's a reason that this is rated so highly, like an 8.0 on Board Game Geek, because when you play it with your kids, you're it's it's amazing, right? It's short and so rewarding, and they love it. Um, a lot of the games that do this kind of thing take a long time. Like I just talked about My Mystics and Stuffed Fables. Those games can take an hour or two. That's a lot, especially if your kids are like bouncing off the walls during winter break. This one, you could sit down and you're like, let's play two or three games, and you're still under an hour. It's amazing. So uh, number one, and I put this number one because I asked my kids, which of these would be at the top? And they both agreed um, wholeheartedly that it had to be Harry Potter deck building game. So I just talked about how quick and easy Zombie Teens Evolution is to get through. Um, Harry Potter deck building is the opposite. These games are so long, but the kids love it. Uh, So Harry... Harry Potter deck building game, uh, you start out in year one. So if, if you're not familiar with Harry Potter, which would be crazy if you weren't, but if you're not, you have seven years that you go through. And each year is, uh, you have certain villains you're attacking, certain cards you're dealing with, certain cards available in the decks. And then the next year, you open up a little tuck box and new cards come into the game and new mechanics come into the game. Um, it's, it's legacy-ish. You're not changing anything. You're just always adding to the game, right? The problem with that from a pure, I'm a board gamer and I have to evaluate what I play (laughs) perspective is that it can make the game longer, right? Because you're not removing anything. You're just adding stuff. So that first game takes an hour. When you get to game seven, it takes over two, upwards of two and a half. And that is a long time to be playing a card game that you can lose because it's cooperative with your children. But everybody still has a blast with it. You know, if, if your family members, your friends, your kids love Harry Potter, this game has all of the characters. It has all the mechanics. Everything makes sense thematically in terms of what happens in the books and how it happens, where it happens. And it all flows together smoothly. The kids are constantly pointing out little Easter eggs on the cards and in the mechanics. Um, There are two expansions for it. So we are on the verge of finishing the base box game seven. And so we have the expansion already lined up, probably start that this weekend. And it is a blast. It is a lot of fun. Uh, So, you know, this is not a game you will sit down and play two in a row. This is like, we will play this again tomorrow or the next day, 
But if you were like, we need a game that we can sit down and play, you know, every day or so throughout the break and your kids love Harry Potter or you love Harry Potter, then this is a really good one to do that with. There's also a Toy Story version that kind of streamlines the game a little bit if you prefer the Toy Story theme. Um, exact same mechanics, though. Uh, so you can definitely check that out as well. So there you go. Ten games for winter break. If you want to keep the kids busy, keep yourself busy, keep your friends busy. These are good games for it. All right. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. Happy holidays, everyone. Take care. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.